Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors at Revision. And I just want to kick things off this morning by saying Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there and the grandmas and aunts and cousins and just all the women who've invested your time and your passion in the next generation. You guys are amazing. Thank you so much for what you do. So for the last few weeks, we've been in this series called First Comes Love, Then Comes Baggage, and we've been talking about how easy it is to idolize marriage and then end up disappointed because happily ever after doesn't actually exist. But the truth is that that even though every marriage is imperfect and made up of two broken people, God designed it to be beautiful and life-giving. And we've been talking about how that happens and what it looks like, but not only that, we've also got some amazing resources back at the table in the back corner, just some books about every stage of the process, attraction, dating, engagement, marriage, singleness, even divorce. And last week, I challenged everyone to pick up one of our guides that says 14 Days to a Better Marriage and go through it with your spouse or your fiance, or even go through it alone so that you can walk through life with less bad idea baggage about what marriage is really all about. And so if you have not taken full advantage of those resources, please, please do that and invest in your relationships. That's actually the big idea I want to talk about this morning, investing in your relationship. And then this picture God gives us of two lives joining together to become one, because I think that investment in that picture is something your soul is wired to desire. That's actually what God says happens when we get married to become one. Like way back in the very beginning, when God invents marriage in Genesis 2, he says, for this reason, a man should leave his father and mother and become united to his wife so the two could become one. And Adam looks at Eve and he says, she's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. We're, We're connected. It's a really cool vision, but it also looks nothing like the cultural picture we get of marriage in 21st century America. And there are still some Disney films that dare to proclaim they lived happily ever after until Disney thought they could make money off a sequel and then another sequel. But outside of that, the picture we get of marriage is pretty bleak. There are a lot of people out there who are not having very much fun in their marriages, and they are more than happy to tell you about it. It's why we know so many lame marriage jokes, right? We've heard them. Like, what's the difference between love and marriage? Love is blind, but marriage is a real eye-opener. Or or my personal favorite, I heard this one at a wedding once. The guy said, there are two rings here today, but in marriage there are actually three rings. The engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the suffering. (laughs) That's how you nail it in a wedding message. I leaned over to Jenny after he said it. I was like, ooh, he is a real hoot. And she elbowed me for being rude. And it's not that it isn't okay to laugh about the struggles of marriage. They're real. But I think the tragedy is there's a lot of truth to the undercurrent of those words. There's a lot of people out there who at one point in their lives really enjoyed hanging out together and were really excited to spend the rest of their lives together. And then they got married and life happened. Things got busy and, and crazy and eventually 
they just weren't as connected as they used to be. And for most of them, that did not happen on purpose. They just kind of drifted in opposite directions without realizing how far apart they were getting. What I want us to see today, though, is that God is inviting us not to settle for that. We were made for more, and God delights when we experience the fullness of what he created marriage to be. So we're going to get some marriage lessons today from a guy the Bible calls is the, the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon. If you've got a Bible handy, you can crack it open to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 9. This is Solomon's treatise on like, life as a human on planet Earth. And if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with the words on the screen. If you need a Bible or your kids do, please take one from the next steps table before you go. They're free. We love it when they disappear. But this is what Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 9, 9. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. All the days of this meaningless life God has given you under the sun. For this is your reward in life for all your toil. So basically, the smartest dude that ever lived is like, you know what? Life kind of stinks sometimes, you guys. You're going to go through a whole lot of days and even seasons where you wake up, you go to work, you go home, you eat, you go to bed, rinse and repeat the next day and the next day and the next day. And all the stuff the world says you ought to be chasing probably isn't going to fulfill you in the end. It's kind of meaningless. But in the middle of all that, if you can find someone who knows you and loves you, who you know and love, lean into that. Lean in and enjoy it. Find beauty in that relationship because it will make the meaninglessness and the toil of life not just tolerable, but fun. Here's the truth. Life needs fun and marriages need fun. They do. If there's not some fun and conversation and intimacy and enjoyment of one another and laughter, it's easy for relationships to become totally transactional. For this, this thing God made to provide us with a picture of the intimacy and the love and the depth of relationship he wants with us to just become basically a business partnership where two people join their lives to mostly split up the tasks that are necessary for survival. Right? They're living on the same roof, but they're living entirely different lives that coalesce only around getting chores done and taking care of the kids. Like, all right, you go there, I'll take care of that, you cook that, you drive them there, ready, break. And that's weird, because we don't fall in love transactionally, and we don't tend to fall in love with people we don't enjoy spending time with, but there are a lot of couples out there in our world who have stopped enjoying time with one another, who, who've accidentally slid into this space that's really transactional. And the problem is most of them didn't know they were sliding. It just kind of happened. And then they end up in this place where it feels empty, like, like something's missing. And when we find ourselves in a spot where something's missing, it's really tempting to look over the fence and wonder if the grass isn't greener on the other side, maybe in somebody else's yard. Like my life, my marriage, my relationship feels so dry and so frustrating right now. It isn't what I thought it'd be. It isn't what I want it to be. Oh, if only, if only I was married to her instead. Like what if I was with him instead? What if I, what if I could be single like them? You guys, the grass is not greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it. 
It's greener wherever you take care of it and fertilize it and pull the weeds. And so we're going to talk about how to do that today and on a pregame some of your objections. Because as I speak this morning, some of you are going to find yourselves thinking, okay, yeah, Mike, that's great. I'd love to do that. I would actually enjoy like spending some time investing in the relationship, but, but when? Like, we just don't got time or opportunity to do that in this season. There's work and there's kids and, 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 and. Let me tell you this. I really believe it from the bottom of my soul. If you do not make time to have some fun in your marriage, I think one day you will not have a marriage. You won't have it. It's necessary to invest in enjoying one another. Like, you can tell me all you want that you don't have time and that life's too busy, but I think the picture God paints for us about marriage is all about leaves us with only one option. In marriage, you don't have time not to have fun with one another. Like, I know life and work get busy. I know kids eat up a massive chunk of your schedule. Trust me, I'm in that life stage. I know. But interestingly enough, the Bible and modern research are in alignment on this one. One of the worst things in the world you can do for your kids is to make them such a huge priority that you don't have time for one another anymore. It sounds almost counterintuitive, but you investing in loving each other well actually helps your kids maintain health. It helps you get a better sense of security and stability. It helps their emotional development. It helps their empathy because they learn that they are not the center of the universe and it helps their future relationships. Prioritizing your kids over your spouse hurts your spouse, it hurts you, and it hurts your kids. It's a disaster. And it's also a disaster to prioritize your job or your hobbies or your friends over your spouse, you do not have time not to have fun together. You can't afford not to invest in your relationships. World-renowned marriage therapist and expert John Gottman puts it this way, happy marriages are built on deep friendships. Happy marriages are built on deep friendships. So how in the world do we do that? We're going to get some more wisdom from Solomon and look at some ways we can chase this deep intimacy and connection through the book Song of Songs, which, as we've talked about in this series, is an erotic love poem in the middle of the Bible. And there's some times when I've read it and gone through the weirdness of it and wondered if God didn't just get halfway through and decide, man, this book I'm writing is real long. I should write a, you know, graphic poem straight in the middle just to keep people's attention. But I don't think that's the point. I think the point is to give us a vision of what marriage can be and to give us a small, imperfect, microcosmic picture of the depth of intimacy and connection we are created to experience in relationship with God. A few weeks ago, at the beginning of this series, we talked about dating and attraction, and I mentioned three things that we need to limit in those early rose-colored glasses infatuation stages. Talk, time, and touch. But today we're going to flip the script on limiting those and see through Song of Songs how those things are incredibly important for married couples. So the first type of fun married couples need to be having is to chase each other's hearts through talk. Talk, you got to talk to one another and a whole bunch of ladies' faces just lit up and a whole bunch of dudes just went like this. Because... For us, that often means we're in trouble. Like, we, let's talk. Okay, what do I do this time? And I'm stereotyping a little bit here, but not without a whole lot of evidence from a number of different studies. The truth is that, that ladies, 
men tend to feel about relationships the way that you feel about cars. Most of you, not all of you, if you're a woman, are in this boat. You don't want to work on them. You just want them to work. That's how a lot of guys feel about relationships. But the catch is that in relationships and with cars, they don't tend to work very long unless you work on them. And so it matters that you make space for conversation. It's important because you can't actually get to know somebody without talking to them. That's difficult to do in marriage sometimes, though. I know what it is. I remember back when Jenny and I were dating, like in college, I spent a ridiculous amount of money on phone cards just so I could talk to her. I had this $40 reloadable Sam's Club phone card, and we talked for hours and hours. And if you're under the age of 35 in here today, just be glad you don't even know what the phrase phone card means. Because you try to dial a 24-digit code on a rotary phone, and that's a, that's a chunk of your day right there. Okay? But we used to talk all the time, and then we got married, and now we live together, and sometimes our days are so crazy busy that it gets to be like 10 o'clock, and you're like, oh, hey, what was your name again? Jenny, that's right. Oh, how's life treated? It's good? Man, it was good to catch up. I'll see you again another time. It's just like the life stage that we're in. If we don't be careful to to carve out time, like the the two of us don't always get time to talk. And I know that's true for so, so many people. But the picture we get in Song of Songs is one of this almost continuous conversation. From the very beginning, Solomon looks at her and says, I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Now, quick time out, just because it's Mother's Day. This is free advice to all the men out there. Please, I know it's in the Bible, don't look at your wife today and tell her she reminds you of a horse. This is the size, the smells, just don't do it. All right, it's, it's bad, but 3,000 years ago, Pharaoh's horses were world famous because they were perfect. He collected this fleet of flawless horses, and so Solomon's not saying, you're a horse face, he's saying she's immaculate. And then just like moving on, you jump forward to verse 15, he says, how beautiful you are, my darling, oh, how beautiful, your eyes are doves. And then she responds to him, and this book is full of them growing together, pursuing each other's hearts, chasing intimacy through conversation, because you just can't get there without conversation. And when I say conversation, I don't mean the transactional type. Like who's getting groceries, who's, who's cooking dinner tonight, who's picking up the kids from school. We have those conversations with each other regularly and they're important, they have to get done, but those are not deep intimacy pursuing conversations. Neither are the words you speak to each other while both of your faces are staring at a phone screen. Or the words Netflix says to you while you sit near one another in your living room and watch it. Again, not a bad thing. Sometimes at the end of the day, you just gotta sit. But the tragedy of our generation is that we now exist in a society that has decided we just have to accept that partial attention is enough. And it is not enough. Look, I could watch two hours of Netflix a day for an entire year with my next door neighbor sitting on the same couch. And if that's all we did, I would not know him any better at the end of that year than I do right now. Because you got to talk to somebody in order to pursue their heart. And deep down, all of us get that. It's why we intuitively weaponize silence. You're mad at somebody, you want them to know it, don't talk to them. They will feel the silent treatment. And that's a big part of a lot of marriages. I heard a comedian talking about this a while back. He brought up the movie The Sixth Sense. He said, 
one of the most ridiculous things in history is that none of us understood the first time we watched it that Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. It was one of the greatest twist endings in movie history. It made M. Night Shyamalan's career as a director. We just watched it for an hour and a half and thought that his wife wasn't talking to him for like a year. That made more sense to us than the possibility of him being dead. And the worst part is, he got shot right at the beginning of the movie. It couldn't have been more clear that he was dead. And all of us are watching it like, yeah, I know what this guy's going through. In marriage, even when you get shot, it's your fault. (sighs) Words matter. They make a difference. And part of the reason they matter is that there's this inborn thing inside of us as human beings. It exists in every single one of us. God hardwired us with it. And you don't have to be married to get this need fulfilled. I'm going to repeat that. You do not have to be married to get this need fulfilled, but you do need other people. Something inside every single one of our souls desperately longs to be fully known and fully loved anyway. And to be loved without being known is nice, but it's, it's superficial on some level. To be fully known and then not loved is the greatest fear that exists in the human heart. But to be fully known and loved anyway is what we were made for. And the truth is you cannot fully know someone and subsequently fully love someone without talking to them. And so it's important to make time in your schedules for deep conversation. And the second fun thing married couples need to be doing is chasing each other's hearts through time. It matters that we get face-to-face and talk to one another, but it also matters that we get side-by-side and do fun things together. You got to spend some time doing that. And in Song of Songs, chapter 7, verse 11, she says, Come, my beloved, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened. She's like, oh, let's take a vacation and go to some cute little towns and look at the flowers, which frankly sounds like a miserable time to me as an avid endorsement. But sometimes in life, you just got to go where your wife wants to go and hold her hand. Because if you let go of it, she will shop. You just go with her where she wants to go. But throughout this book, the two of them continually do fun stuff together. I think too many people out there in our world used to be great at having fun together back when they were dating. But then they got into just the routines and the rhythms of life. And at some point, they decided that just wasn't a priority anymore, which is pretty ridiculous when you think about it. Because when it comes to your work, Like the stuff that could cost you your job if it doesn't get done. That stuff gets priority placement on your calendar. But when it comes to your marriage, like the stuff that could cost you your marriage if it doesn't get done, too often that stuff gets pushed to the margins of our schedules by the tyranny of the urgent. We say, oh yeah, yeah, I know it's important, but it's it's, going to have to wait Oh, date night regularly, that'd be really great, but just, oh, in this season, this is going to have to wait. Getting away together, a vacation, just the two of us, that'd be amazing, but this is going to have to wait until the next season of life when things slow down. Like, if you've been telling yourself that, or if you've been telling each other that, I would love it if today, before you leave this room, you find somebody who is one or two life stages ahead of you and ask them about how it goes when things slow down. 
just don't get offended when they cackle in your face because it's not happening. We got to stop waiting to pursue each other for someday. Because I think Creedence Clearwater Revival said it best. I'm here to tell you now, each and every mother's son, you better learn it fast and you better learn it young. Someday, never comes. Someday, never comes. I know some of you are thinking right now, okay, but I don't even know what we would do. Like we used to share interests and it used to be fun to hang out, but we're, we're kind of different now. And I'm not even sure what we do together. And if that's you, you're not alone. For every single one of us, the person that you're married to is at least a little bit different than the person you thought you were marrying. Over time, people change. There are years and seasons where you got to learn to love a person you didn't marry because the person you did marry is not the same person they once were. The great theologian Stanley Hauerwas puts it like this, the primary problem in many marriages is learning to love and care for the stranger you find yourself married to. If you're in that boat, good news. Your marriage isn't dysfunctional. It's a marriage. Like facts. Jenny and I met over half our lifetimes ago, and neither of us is the exact same person as we were when we were teenagers. Like I've said this before, and I'll be real with you about it again. I think every dad in the room is going to intuitively get what I'm talking about. Wife Jenny murdered girlfriend Jenny at the altar. I watched that happen. And then mom Jenny murdered wife Jenny in the delivery room. I watched that happen too. Took way less pictures. It's just... But like, she's not the same person that she used to be. But part of who she has become has been shaped by me, by us, by this incredible journey we've been on together and by our family. And that's a beautiful, good thing. Because even though I fell in love with 16-year-old Jenny and I had an amazing amount of fun with her, if I had to choose between 16-year-old Jenny and 29-year-old Jenny to be raising our kids to be doing life with old, bald, bum-shoulder Mike, I would choose whatever age Jenny is right now, Jenny, any day of the week and twice on Sundays. And I wouldn't even have to blink I could make that choice so fast. Like, I know people change, and I know sometimes it's a fight to find things you enjoy doing together, but that is a fight worth fighting it matters that we chase each other's hearts by spending time side by side doing fun things together. And here's the good news. If you're like, I don't think we can find anything. There's nothing we could agree on. I don't feel like doing anything she wants to do. I don't feel like doing anything he wants to do. Not a problem. I said this last week. I'll repeat myself. Love isn't a feeling. Love is a lifestyle of self-sacrifice. So if you can't agree on doing what the other person wants to do, that's a killer opportunity to show love by sacrificing and just doing it anyway. Just do it anyway. You can't fully know each other without investing time in your relationship and you cannot fully love without knowing. So make time to have fun together. And the third thing married people need to do, and this is found all throughout Song of Songs, is to chase each other's hearts through touch. Like all touch. I think sometimes we get married and then we get really zoned in on a specific type of touch and we stop doing some of the fun stuff that we used to do. We don't hold hands anymore or kiss or, or hug. Don't stop doing that. Why would you stop doing that? For real, think back right now to the first time you ever held her hand. Oh, so cool. 
guess what? It still is. It's still fun. Touch connects us deeply. Keep pursuing that. But there is a type of touch. God says he invented just for marriage, and it's critically important. It's a part of intimacy that makes marriage fun and fulfilling and all God designed it to be. And I know some of you are sitting here thinking right now, oh my goodness, Mike is not going to talk about sex on Mother's Day, is he? (laughs) Because look, I'm in the same boat. We all have the buttoned up Midwestern, Scandinavian, evangelical conscience that wants to pretend we have no idea how people became mothers. Like, oh honey, the stork just dropped you off on our porch one day. Motherhood doesn't start with storks. It starts the exact same way Song of Song starts. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Cue the Marvin Gaye, right? Woo! Look, I'm not talking about sex because of the biological connection to Mother's Day. And not to be edgy. I know people do that. Like, let's be radical and connect to culture. Sex matters to God. Connecting with one another through intimate physical touch is profoundly theological. See, God designed marriage to be a covenant. And a covenant is an unbreakable promise. And in the Old Testament and throughout the ancient world, every single covenant came with a covenant symbol. There was a picture and a ritual people could participate in that reminded them that the covenant was in place and also helped them connect to everything the covenant meant for them. So in the Old Testament, God's people regularly celebrated Passover as a way of remembering God's favor and deliverance of the nation of Israel. They regularly celebrated Yom Kippur as a way of remembering God's covenant to look past their sins. And then Jesus showed up. And he instituted communion. At the Last Supper, he passed around the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. And he passed around the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. And then he told them, do this regularly. Repeat it. The bread and the cup. Do it again and again and again and again and again to remind yourself of this covenant that's available through my death and resurrection. You're forgiven and set free. And to connect yourself to everything that means for you and your lives. Sex is the covenant symbol God invented for marriage. It's something he came up with to connect two people more intimately, fully, and deeply than they could possibly be connected in any other way. And God tells us, do this, participate in this again and again and again and again and again. Do this to remember that that unbreakable bond, that covenant is in place and to connect to everything it means for you. God says, look, I I made this, I invented it as a way of sealing that bond. And I made sure that new life only grows out of that intimacy because unconditional love is the space where babies and children flourish. But on top of all that, I made it fun. I made it fun on purpose. So crank up the Marvin Gaye and have a good time. As human beings, we are meant to find enjoyment through intimacy. Proverbs 5, 18 and 19 says, May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always, and may you ever be intoxicated with her love. The word intoxicated in Hebrew is this word shagah. It's the word for when an animal attacked another animal and ate it. Like, consumed it, which is a weird word. 
But I think what Solomon's saying is, like, be consumed with her love. Be filled up by it completely and totally forever. That's what sex is all about. And that's why we got to talk about it in church. Because we have a generation that's being told sex is no big deal and you just give it away for, for fun and there are no repercussions and there are no consequences. And it's a generation that has grown up believing it doesn't really matter. And if the church is afraid to talk about it, then the only message they get from us is that sex is bad or, or taboo or evil. And then the world tells them a better story than the church. It's why we have a whole generation that's living together and sleeping together and sleeping around like it's not going to matter in their lives. That's not because they're just a bunch of evil, awful kids. It's because they got told a better story by the world than the one the church was telling them. But the truth is that story was a lie. There are significant consequences and repercussions. The sexual revolution did not set us free. It left us in chains. We know that now. The data is in. Divorce is epidemic in our society. Pornography and sex addiction are skyrocketing. Depression is at levels we have never seen before, and more people today report feeling unloved and lonely than at any time in human history. That is the result of the story we got sold. We have a better story. God wrote a better story. One about meaning and connection and love and intimacy and beauty that actually gets better with time, not worse. The world needs the story we are here to tell, so we got to live it and we got to tell it and they got to be able to see it in our marriages. So please make time, make it a priority to connect to one another through talk and through time and through touch. It makes a difference. And if you don't do it, you will suffer and your kids will suffer and your friends will suffer and the world will suffer for the lack of the story God wants us to be telling. We got to do this. And I know it's hard. I know it's real that some of you are in a spot right now where you're like, yeah, but I don't, I don't feel like it. You know what, we're in a spot where he's just been so selfish for so long, I don't want to. We're in a spot where she's been so cold for so long, I don't want to. It's so difficult, I don't, I don't want to. And that's real, I don't want to encourage you, even though you don't want to, even though you don't feel like it. Try making it a priority, because feelings follow actions. Right, they do. That's just a natural phenomenon. Feelings follow actions. Nobody eats kale because they feel like it will taste better than pizza. That's not a real thing in the world. But you can learn to enjoy it because feelings follow actions. Okay, it's never going to happen for you. You're never going to experience the fullness of what God wants to hand to you in a relationship if you wait to feel it first. Or if you wait for them to feel it. Like, until they give love, I'm not giving any back because I, I want to protect myself. I don't want to be vulnerable. And you try and take love from them. You can't take love. Love is something that can only be given or received. It makes it a unique gift that can't ever be stolen. And you're built for that gift, for the unquenchable covenant love and intimacy of God. And so it matters that we do this. It matters that we chase each other. Because I think if we don't, if you don't, we're going to waste away the days and the years of our lives looking over that fence, wondering if the grass is greener on the other side. 
And it's not. It's greener wherever we care for it. But if we care for it, we not only get the opportunity to tell a better story to our world and to our kids, we get the opportunity to live a better, more beautiful story of deep, meaningful connection with somebody who gives us just a little bit of a glimpse of what the unconditional love of God is like. That's worth chasing. Will you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your unconditional love, which radically changes us. I pray today that in the middle of a world that, that sells us a bad story, and a broken story, in the middle of a world where it's really easy to drift toward disconnection, you'd help us make it a priority to connect with people, to chase each other through talk and through time and through touch in a way that not only reminds us this covenant is in place, but helps us experience the fullness of it. Lord, let us be a people who tell a true story and a better story to a desperate watching world. We praise in Jesus' name, amen.